and welcome to the Sick Girl Missives. I'm Jillian. And I'm Jillian. We're both Jillians. And we've both teamed up for this little audio project in the hopes of exploring some big ideas. Particularly ideas around illness, as we are both sick. But also about the other big and small things that can happen to a person. Basically, we write letters to each other. In the last episode, you read your letter about hoping in the wrong direction. Yeah, that's right. Yes, yes. Okay, I'm going to read that line one more time. (laughs) In the last episode, you read your letter about hoping in the wrong direction. And this week, I'm going to read my letter inspired by a word, phrase, or idea that showed up in your letter. Anything else the people should know? Well, you're Canadian. And you're American. And you have a crick in your neck and you're real grumpy about it. I I am real grumpy about it. Have you have you have you tried some ice? I have Ices? I've nice. tried ice. I've tried my heating pad and then I just used a tennis ball and rubbed my back <laughs> along the wall <laughs> like blue in jungle book. Um have you cried? Absolutely. Absolutely I've cried. Okay. I was like cause, cause <laughs> that's that's another important step. And you, Jillian, you, well, today, it's your dad's birthday. It is. Wow. Well, that's really special. Did you give him cake? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes, I did. I did give him cake, but originally he didn't want cake, so um, he begrudgingly enjoyed the cake. Okay. I mean, like, yeah. begrudging enjoyment of cake is still, like, a pretty good enjoyment. Yeah, you know, because there's still cake, and uh, you're still enjoying it. Yeah, it's just like yeah. a little bit begrudging. That's about it. Okay, let's start the show. Dear Jillian, I'm pretty sure I know where the best burger joint is. Bold claim, I know. It's in a small town of not even 5,000 people, yet for some reason the intersection in front of the drive-in is busier than a few we have in my much larger city. A few years back, they opened a new stretch of highway that completely bypasses the town. But Mom and I always make a point to stop there on our way to visit my grandparents. The emotional value of the food obviously negates all caloric content, which is very much worth the extra drive time. The Yellow Jacket is a gateway into the liminal space between reality and memory. Forward from there, the further south we drive, time and space are different. The trees are taller, the asphalt is speckled red and brown, and sounds different as you drive on it. The hum that vibrates through the car is smoother, the air is hazy and humid, and it feels like something big could happen at any moment. For all of its terribleness, and it is terrible, the South has a magic. It is a place of old world superstition, West African religion, and native history. A place where ancestors echo out from their graves into soil and water and big oaks. Home is where the dead are venerated. My Nana is home. Well, Nana is a homebody, so at any given moment she is also probably at home. But I mean my Nana is home. She is home the way my mother is home. The way I know I do not belong to just myself. I am my great-grandmother's and my great-great-grandmothers. There is an entire committee of dead women I answer to before I answer to myself. The old home place where my grandparents live is not much. It's in a small town that got a single stoplight years ago, but will probably lose said stoplight once it breaks. Supposedly there's a mayor, though I don't see why. Even the school is closed. 
The land itself is overgrown and home to coyotes, wild boar, and if you believe the locals, a puma. My mother hates when I drink water from the faucet. There's no telling what's in the supply after years of oil drilling, and at least some pipes have to be lead. There's even still an oil well on the property, supposedly worth enough money for multiple people to try and swindle my family out of the land over four generations. But there's also a fault line, and we have no desire to frack and destroy what we've come to love so dear. This place is home, and it is the place we go to be sick. My grandmother, Nana, she never really wanted the old home place. For years, it only reminded her of the people she'd lost. But through events and almost swindles and would-be swindlers, the land is now hers, or was. Technically, the land is now her children's, a trio of misfits of which my mom is the eldest. And somehow, this land my grandmother never wanted has become a haven for our tired, our sick, and our disabled. As my uncle calls it, it is a place where old sick people go to take care of their old sick people. I am sure when Nana took on the land, she never anticipated her husband developing Alzheimer's, as I am also sure she did not foresee her son developing MS, or her grandson needing adult care, or both of her daughters having RA, one with a particularly interesting case of OCD. However, when I began to collect my own acronyms, EDS was almost an exciting thing for her and the rest of the family to learn about. As a genetic condition that is only recently beginning to be understood, we now have answers and closure for the mysterious ailments which haunted my grandmother and great-grandmother for the better part of their lives. But this is not a letter about acronyms or family history. This is a letter about last weekend. Sometimes you just need a good burger and a trip home, and due to the pandemic, I had not had a good burger nor been home in a very long time. I did briefly see my people around Christmas. Papa still had a pretty good idea of who I was then. But for the first time in over a year, I was going to be indoors and staying the night. Due to a recent loss in the family, Mom had already been down there to stay before me. She warned me that Papa has a new habit. He likes to open the door in the front bedroom at night and stare at you from the doorway. Each time he would ask Mom, Becky, is that you? To which she would reply, yes, Papa, it's me. Oh, okay, he would say. How long are you staying? I'm here until Saturday. Oh, that's good. He shuts the door. The door would open many times that night. Sadly, though, Papa didn't remember me this time. But he looks at me like he knows he loves me. He's just not quite sure why. Yet, since he can't remember my name, my night in the front bedroom is a little different than my mom's. He cannot ask me, Jillian, is that you? No, instead, he turns the light on. Then he turns the light off. Then he turns the light on. Then he turns it off and on and off and on and off. Papa, Papa, it's, it's just me. It's okay, I say. Oh, all right, he sighs and shuts the door. It's 3 a.m. This would repeat two more times, the last time being around 5 in the morning, and I get a little mean. I'm a stomach sleeper, but now I'm crinkled on my back from all the tossing and turning. With head directly under light, his ritual begins again. And being an epileptic, eyes turned upwards towards that light. I'm no longer having fun. Jesus, Papa, it's just me, I shout. Sounding just like a child, he utters, Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to annoy you, and slinks away. You should never be harsh or critical with someone who has dementia. 
It's fruitless and antagonistic, but surprisingly, he leaves me alone after that. And truly, if it weren't for, you know, my epilepsy, I would have let that go on all night without a single hair at my ass. Nana strips the bedding in the daytime. When Papa started to get really bad, he liked to unmake and make beds. He stayed in a nursing home once. He wandered the whole place unmaking people's beds. I suppose it's better than when he liked to, than when he liked to paint things. The porch swing still has different colored planks dispersed amongst the natural wood. It's probably better than when he liked to unplug things. Their Wi-Fi stays up now, but he isn't quite able to make the beds back up anymore. So to take away the temptation, Nana just keeps the beds in the house bare until it's time to sleep. Papa is always hungry until you bring him something to eat. He loves to chat until he doesn't, and he tells you he can't talk right now because he just put his teeth in. But when you make him smile, it is the biggest smile in the whole world. And when he can make you laugh, his eyes shine brighter than any star. This weekend it hit me. He will need to be placed in a long-term facility soon. He will be too sick for the other sick old people to take care of. But boy, it has been such an honor to love him and keep him throughout all of this sadness. I've been thinking about the ways Alzheimer's is portrayed in the media. Everything's so tense, so sad and angry. When a loved one finally passes, they say things like, it's okay, she wasn't really my mom anymore. Or it's fine, my dad died a long time ago. Papa has proved to me how very wrong they are. He may not always be nice, he's hard to dress, he doesn't sleep, but he's still Papa. He responds to love and patience and frustration. He is a person experiencing one of the worst, slowest deaths we can imagine, and for now, he is happy. The day we left, he asked my mother not to go. He knew me when he hugged me by. My sick old people have taught me this. Life is not about what was or what could have been. Life is what is. Life is what is. Each day bringing as much newness with its sameness, when we allow reality to simply be, instead of forcing it to be, there is room for so much more than what we thought possible. Do not be afraid to strip beds or have messy walls or an unkempt lawn, or check your water hoses for bugs before you turn it on, or keep tree dishes for lizards. Not everything about your sadness or your strife is a thing that needs changing. Love always. Jillian. That was really lovely. Thank you for taking me on a trip home with you. Oh, well, thank um, you for coming. I think one thing that drew me in, one entry point, is this idea of a place you go to be sick. When you were living in a different city from your family and you got sick, so sick that you had to leave, you know, your apartment and your job, was there this sense of like, I'm returning to a place where I can be sick and be the sick version of myself who allows people to care for them? Yeah. And I think it it wasn't even just so much about allowing people to care for me as it was allowing myself to be sick. Mm. And in a way... I kind of felt like going home at first was you know, the old um, Bible story about Jonah being swallowed by the whale. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of felt like sickness was my whale. Okay. That I was being taken to somewhere 
that I didn't want to go. But I also didn't realize that it was the place that I needed to be. Do you feel differently about where you're at in your relationship to home and your relationship to your illness? Are you still in the whale? <laughs> have you have you not left the whale yet? <laughs> um, I definitely am outside of the whale. Obviously, I would much rather not be sick. But I think it was a very good thing for me to have come home. Mm-hmm. Especially with the timing. And it happened pretty close to the pandemic. So this was, this was definitely a good thing for me. And I was certainly of the mindset beforehand that going home would be a sense of failing, you know, like I hadn't accomplished something for me to have to return back to my home and the town that I was from. But I don't quite feel that way anymore. Mm-hmm. What about you? Do you, uh, you have a place to go to be sick? Yes, I think when I was in Edinburgh, and I was in the hospital, it just this clarity came upon me, this clarity, which had been absolutely absent throughout the entire duration of my illness up <laughs> until that point. But it was like being in the hospital. I just became like very, I became business Jillian. And mm-hmm. I was like, I need to go home. And right. I, don't, I don't care what I need to do, what I need to make happen in order to make that happen but Mm -hmm. I need to achieve that I need to return home and that's the only place for me to be (laughs) I remember when I first came back to this city my home I was walking a familiar path I'd gone to get groceries and then was walking back along along a familiar path which took me past water and trees And just like these fundamental landmarks of my childhood and adolescence. Mm. And I remember just crying. (laughs) Just just because of how I was really there beside the water that I had been thinking about when I was in the hospital. That I would looked out at when I was a teenager and then a young woman and like wanting Mm. to escape it all. (laughs) Wanting to move to Edinburgh wanting to pack mm-hmm. it up and leave and then actually being there beside it all again it was just I was just crying I was so I've never felt such pure relief because I just felt like I knew the city and it mm-hmm. knew me and it was happy to have me back and I was happy to be back and sometimes still I mean it's been a little while because now yeah it's now almost been four years but as recently as last year just taking the bus home from work and looking out over again at the water and the trees and the landmarks I like got teary on the bus because it was like I'm actually here Mm -hmm. (laughs) I actually made it back here where I needed to be to be well so yes I do have that place and that place is here but a lot a lot of hard things had to happen and in order for me to make it back. <laughs> that that road is never a simple one that has to bring you back to realize, I had what I wanted all along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, totally. Totally. There are moments when I do feel like 
maybe it's time to leave again. Mm-hmm. Maybe knowing that I'll be back, knowing that I intend to return, but maybe it like held me for the time it needed to hold me. And now it's time to, for this little city to release me back <laughs> and uh, try somewhere else for a while. I don't know. Or maybe that's just my tendency to move myself when I finally mm-hmm. feel settled, Comfort. secure. <laughs> and yeah. I, get, I get weirded out by it and I'm like, okay, I'm done. I've said everything. <laughs> I'm a person who only understands anxiety and chaos. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's funny not knowing what this is. Is it actually like, yes, I should follow this instinct to try and grow? Or is mm-hmm. it like, I'm just trying to shake up the little snow globe of my life? because I don't know what it is to be still (laughs) for a while. I think that brings me to the the very good line. Not everything about your sadness or your strife is a thing that needs changing. So tell me a little bit about this idea. I'm drawing this link here because there's this sense of when you're uncomfortable, when there's sadness, it feels like a call to action, but sometimes it isn't. Is that what you were trying to say? Yeah. And I don't know. I think sometimes whenever we're experiencing things that we don't want to experience, when we're unhappy, when we're in situations we don't want to be in, we can kind of have like this knee-jerk reaction, you know. But when you allow yourself to just kind of be in it and you're not running from it and you're not hiding from it, um, I think you become a lot... Um, more aware of what the situation actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you when you react quickly, when you're in a frenzy, when you're just kind of grasping at straws and you're propelling your, yourself forward with that anxiety, you miss a lot. You don't always have the whole picture. But when you allow yourself that time, you know, the things that you might have changed or the things that you might have resisted at first might become the things that you actually anchor yourself with later on. Hmm. Um, So when I was at my grandparents' place, so there's the main house, which is where my grandparents live. And then my uncle has built this nice home for himself. And then my aunt has her own little place on the land um, that she and her husband share. And it's, everyone out there is disabled. Hmm. Like everyone is incredibly sick. Um, but they, they're all very content. No one is resigned to their situation, but no one is also fighting their situation. Hmm. Like my aunt who lives down there, so she also has rheumatoid arthritis and she has OCD. And for her, she is very scared that she's going to hurt something. Um, In particular, like bugs and small animals. So she checks all the water hoses all over the property before anyone turns them on to make sure that there aren't bugs living inside of them. So that when they turn them on, the water won't drown them. Um, She keeps these little dishes tied up high on trees for lizards to get in and to drink water 
so that they have a place to be that's off the ground. But she's living in a place and she's living a life that accommodates for all of that. You know, she, she does receive treatment and she's doing very well with that treatment. But also this is something that's kind of an aspect of who she is at this point. And it's not something that she's fighting against. Instead, it's something that, you know, she's taking those steps to kind of sit down and figure out, well, how do I live with this? And there's just kind of a lot of that going on down there with my family is that you have people that have very obviously like large and consuming problems, but they're not trying to solve the problem. They're instead living with the problem. And when you do that long enough and you do a good enough job at it, it's not a problem anymore. It's just a kind of an aspect of who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really, I like that idea of living in a place where everybody, you know, picks up each other's slack. <laughs> the <laughs> um, dream. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's really, it's such a lovely idea of having a place where people, like, know your conditions, um, whatever they may be, and help you with them, help you with the little gaps that exist in your life because, because of these conditions. Um, that's such a lovely idea. And I think there's two things happening. There's the symptoms of the illness, which can be so debilitating in and of themselves that those need to be addressed. Um, and then there's the root causes of the illness. But sometimes I think that the symptoms maybe there's less help to deal with them, Mm -hmm. you know? It just becomes a part of your, like, every day you just have to manage it. There are symptoms that still exist for me that just do, and I just have to deal with them. And it's like, even though I'm on a consistent medication and I am technically in remission, Mm, there are still mm -hmm. things that are like (laughs) Crohn's disease related that happen and I have to deal with, um... And I remember I I had a conversation with my gastroenterologist and I was like, I feel like I'm operating at 80%. He's like, that's great. And I'm like, well. That's 80%. I've got 20% more. To 100%. Sometimes you have a different definition of success from your doctor Mm -hmm. or your medical team. (laughs) Um, So you describing this wonderful piece of land where like your various family members live and and support each other with their different conditions. It sounds like they all have a similar idea of what success looks like. The shared definition of success in that little community is like that everybody is cared for Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, generously. So yeah, bringing it back to that line of not everything about your sadness or your strife is the thing that needs changing. It's the thing that needs to be acknowledged and approached with generosity, not necessarily eradicated. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Does that, does that seem true to you? Does that seem representative of 
your family and the way that they live on that Mm -hmm. land. Oh, for sure. And I think it's, I think it's because at the end of the day, I kind of think that we are, you know, we're made up by little bits of our experiences. And I think that there is truth in when people say that if there's, you know, if I have this limitation or if I have this experience that this horrible thing or this thing I don't like is not who I am. Mm-hmm. And there can be power in that. And so I'm not wanting to negate that or deny people their right to to separate themselves from things that are hard for them or things that make them unhappy about their circumstances or things that they've experienced. But I think when an experience is chronic, even when it's something that doesn't make you happy, you do acknowledge it as like, in a way, this is a piece of who I am. Like, it's not everything that I am, but it is a part of my identity. And so acknowledging the hardship, you know, and the struggles and the sadness and the strife. We talk a lot about learning how to sit with feelings that make us uncomfortable and kind of living in that gray space, but it's acknowledging that there are going to be parts of us that are sad and that are made up of struggle and that aren't always great and allowing ourselves to have those pieces and allowing those, those pieces to play an integral part in shaping our identity, I think can make us much more well-rounded, compassionate individuals. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I think, I mean, so much of this piece was a a wonderful portrait of your grandfather. Um, And I think, leading off of what you said, like allowing for that in other people as well. So Mm -hmm. allowing for things like him turning the light on and off. And it's hard. I mean, my... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) As you demonstrated in your letter, you're not always going to (laughs) be the most graceful person when dealing with this in yourself Mm -hmm. and in other people. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Yeah. There's there's also a lot of humor to be had. Mm -hmm. Um, I couldn't... There was something else that I wanted to convey but I didn't have the time or space to do it. But something about Alzheimer's and living with sick family is learning that we also really have to kind of let go of these ideas that we had for our lives. Mm -hmm. And um, in particular, the ideas of what we would like to project to other people you really have to learn how to let those go. And when you do, when you're not worried about being appropriate or having it together, and you're focused on the things that are really important, like, are we alive? You know? Hmm. (laughs) Have we checked on everybody this morning? (laughs) Does Papa have pants on? (laughs) Like... (laughs) Yeah. Is he in, is he in the house? Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, 
the important elements of a good day. The, the important elements of a good day, and you're not so worried about making everything look like what you want it to look like or what you think other people think your life should look like. You're able to find a lot of humor in your life again. Mm-hmm. I also, I would like to have the caveat that there are, unfortunately, you know, those very sad cases of Alzheimer's and dementia where people do become very violent and very mean, Mm -hmm. that that is a very real possibility. And so it is lucky that we are in a situation where he is not. That is not how his Alzheimer's has manifested. Um, He also, uh, he used to be a Baptist minister and he was also a history teacher. And My entire life, I have never heard this man utter a single curse word. But now, this is one of the ways that it's really funny, is that we know it's getting late at night because all of a sudden you'll just hear him yell somewhere in the house, (laughs) 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 And, you know, we'll just look at one another and... We will just start laughing because this is a man who, like, lived his life. You weren't allowed to curse around him. You weren't allowed to have alcohol in the house. (laughs) And it's just, it is, it's hilarious. Yeah, I think, I don't know if you know this, but my my grandmother had dementia and she passed away last year. Um, I didn't. Yeah, so I think one thing about Alzheimer's is... I found that there's something about how you kind of, your memories of the person get replaced with your memories of this new version of them. So it's like while they're losing their memories and inevitably changing, so they're losing their memories, but there's also this kind of memory replacement process happening for you as you witness it, where it's like, your memories, it's like a, a quick change where it's like, okay, your grandpa mm-hmm. used to be someone who never swore he was the Baptist minister, but now he's the person who says shit when it's getting dark. <laughs> and it's so funny, and now you have these memories of laughing about it with your family, but it's like mm-hmm. somebody has snatched the old version of him and like done a quick change, and now there's this new version, yeah. and the other memories are kind of like fading around the edges. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? No, it really does, and I actually had not thought about that until you until you mentioned it because I'm trying to look back now on a lot of my memories with him, and definitely I have to dig for a while to get through the sick memories before I get to the memories before. Yeah, I think that there's something in what you said about belonging out of context, this would sound truly strange, and it's the only <laughs> snippet of this line I wrote down, but belonging to a committee of dead women. Um, I, think, I mm. think it's connected to this, because I think that even with that memory switch up, I think that, I think that at least in my experiences with my grandmother... Yeah, there's still this sense of, like, belonging. And I think you even said when you were talking about your grandfather in your letter, this he didn't recognize you at first. He knew that he loved you, but not why. It's like mm-hmm. he knew that, he, that you mattered, but not why. 
there's mm-hmm. what remains, I guess, the common thread, even as those memories get lost and changed out, is like this connection, this sense of like, we belong to each other. I'm yours and you're mine, <laughs> you know? Um, For sure. Moving on to just right before Happy Good, because I feel like, wow, this episode's getting long. <laughs> like, um, we're going to have some problems here. <laughs> how do you enjoy a burger? Tell me your Oof. ideal burger. Oof. Describe it to me. Um, so my ideal burger at this particular location all right, because okay. this is this yeah. is just a drive-in diner, you know. That oven has probably been like cooking some burgers for the better part of like fifty years at this point. It might have been mm-hmm. cleaned twice. It's it's got <laughs> some history built up on it. Um, right. I really like, you know, just just a plain hamburger with mustard, no ketchup, and some lettuce, tomato, pickle, and onion with a fry okay. and a chocolate shake. Wow. I'm very classic. Very classic, okay. yeah. And I particularly love, so I don't know if you've ever experienced this, the sweetness of a chocolate shake juxtaposed with the tanginess of ketchup oh that i was not expecting you to go in this direction so i'm not i'm not putting ketchup (laughs) in my chocolate shake i'm just saying that the best (laughs) the most like like iconic you know flavor pairing maybe it's more of like a flavor chaser if you will Mm -hmm. but it's taking Mm -hmm. a sip of chocolate shake and then loading up a French fry with some ketchup. I thought you were going to say, because this is what I used to do, that you would dunk your French fry into your oh, chocolate Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I have been known to do that. I, yeah. I, um, I've also been known to dunk, and it is only with Wendy's chicken nuggets. I have been known to dunk a Wendy's chicken nugget in a Wendy's Frosty as well. Interesting. Yes, unique (laughs) flavor experience that should be experienced, you know, at least once for... Okay, interesting. But if you blended chicken nuggets into a Frosty, it would be disgusting. It would be terrible. It would be terrible. No, yeah. yeah. It is... That combination (laughs) happens in the last moment. Okay. This is... Yeah. Yeah. They are separate things. important. Vital. Yeah. They need to be respected (laughs) as complete separate entities. It's the marriage. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Okay, I'm with you. Okay. Yeah. Shall we? Happy Yeah, good? let's have a good. Okay, what's yours? So, my happy good is that I was already on my way into the dealership this morning for an oil change and a tire rotation when my tire popped. <laughs> Oh, so I got a flat tire 
on my way into the shop this morning. <laughs> I was I was like five minutes away. Yeah, that's good luck. Yeah, that I think it is. <laughs> that was my dad's birthday present. Attire for Attire you. Attire for me. <laughs> yeah. So, in a weird way, there are some um, happy goods in there. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm stoked for you. Thanks. And your new tire. Thanks. I appreciate that. What about you? Yeah, absolutely. What's your happy good? Um, my happy good is... My happy good is... A dear friend and I have been doing this project together that I call Dance Together Slash Apart. Mm. Um, And it's basically we decide on a date, a time, and a song. And then separately from each other, but at the same time, Mm -hmm. we play this song and we dance. And it's kind of like a contract that we have with each other that at 10.30 a.m. on April 28th, we're going to dance Mm -hmm. to Dreams by the Cranberries. Mm. And we won't really know if the other person is doing it, but we have to kind of, we have to trust Mm -hmm. that they've also turned on this song and are dancing with full passion and spirit. Yes. And so that was yesterday morning. I certainly did dance. So did she. Mm. Apparently. We checked afterwards. Yes. Um, friendship friendship happened friendship occurred it was a beautiful thing just any excuse to dance i'll take it there you go that's good mm-hmm. stuff i agree yeah shall we yeah and things? it it sounds like like that's what's going on so uh thank you for listening to the sick girl missives The music that you're listening to right now is by Hope for a Golden Summer. We'll be back on May 30th with a new episode after a short break. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, we will. Love always. Always. Julian. But on the Where the heart hides under strange skies. If you're lost, will you just keep swimming?